Gracious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Ordinarily, I would jump right into the substance of the passage that I'm preaching on in a sermon. But this is not an ordinary Sunday in the life of this congregation, and it's not an ordinary Sunday in my life. It is our first Sunday together with me as your interim dean. I am brand new here, and this is the first time you're hearing me preach. So first, a word of thanks and a statement of what I hope are reassurances to you for our time together. I really am brand new here. I drove down by myself from Falls Church, Virginia on Tuesday, had my first day in the office on Wednesday, was introduced by Millie to many of you Wednesday night at the chili cook-off, had a three-hour office meeting Thursday morning with Millie and Naomi and Kyle, followed by a staff lunch, followed by a marathon executive committee meeting with Bill and Cheryl and Carolyn and Millie, dinner with Bill afterwards, and then met with Millie here in this place early Friday morning to learn from her where to stand and when to sit and what to do and not to do during the service. Then we attended diocesan convention Friday night and yesterday where Millie introduced me to many colleagues in ministry around the diocese. And throughout, throughout all of it, in all those encounters, I've been so warmly greeted and graciously and authentically welcomed by you. So thank you. And even though I have only been with you for a very short time, in that time, plus the time that I spent here earlier as part of the interview process, in that time, several things have struck me about this, your faith community of All Souls Cathedral, this cathedral church. Several things have struck me about you, this member of the body of Christ, and you as individual members of it. And if I were to try to come up with just one word to summarize what has struck me about you all, that one word would be extraordinary. Extraordinary. Now, synonyms for extraordinary and why that word makes me think of you all are words like remarkable, marvelous, impressive, as well as unique, unusual, rare, surprising, and even odd, <laughs> peculiar, fantastic, awesome, and my all-time favorite synonym for you all, wondrous, wondrous. And that's it, I think. You are a wondrous, extraordinary place and people. Thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being, as individuals and as a church community, innovative instead of imitative. That is extraordinary. And speaking of extraordinary, at risk of embarrassing them, I want to express a special word of appreciation for your senior warden, Bill Bryant, 
and for your acting interim dean, Lily. Maybe you noticed when I was summarizing my days here, how many times how many times Bill's and especially Millie's name kept coming up. Not just this past week, of course, but over the past few months and years, and especially over the past couple of months, the past couple of months between Todd's announcement of retirement, actual retirement departure, and now, in that time, lots of people in leadership positions here in this church have found that they have gotten into a lot more than they bargained for, a lot more than they signed up for. And that's true of the two of them especially. But it's particularly true, I sense, of Millie. Over the last several months, Millie has found herself under circumstances not of her own choosing or control, with extraordinary responsibilities and challenges. In addition to, and while still trying to juggle her normal, ordinary responsibilities and challenges. Extraordinary circumstances call for extraordinary people. And I've discovered in a very short period of time what you all already very well know, which is that Millie is one such extraordinary person. And so, as Interim Dean, on behalf of all the people of All Souls, let me express to you, Millie, my appreciation, our appreciation, for what you've done and who you are. You. And I want to add a personal note to that. Uh, for not only the way that Millie has made me feel comfortable here, but for the ways that she has made me and perhaps many of you feel uncomfortable at times. I think it's one of her gifts. She questions and challenges my comfort and privilege, and it's not easy to hear that, nor should it be. But like many, I am able to hear what she has to me because the way that she applies that to herself. She's not asking of me or others any hard work that she's not been doing herself. Throughout my 30 years of ordained ministry, I've been blessed to minister alongside extraordinarily strong clergy colleagues. And I've gone from year to year, strength to strength in those clergy colleagues. And I feel like I have gone from strength to strength to super strength, and for that I am very grateful. And pulling the lens back just a little bit from those observations, I think that that expression, going from strength to strength, might also be a good way to summarize the work that we are all called to do together during this interim period. As your interim, my job, my calling, our job, our calling, is to accelerate and to accentuate this congregation's gifts and strengths. It is to accelerate as you journey over this bridge between your deeds. My job, our job, is to journey together on this bridge between Todd and Todd's 
chapter in the life of this faith community, and then your next dean in the chapter which you will write together with that next dean sometime in the not-too-distant future. You are, we are, no longer in that past chapter. A reality to name and to rename is that you have left one stage in your journey. A significant page in your church's history has been turned. It is past, even if it's still fresh in memory and still in forms. And yet, the next chapter, ministry together alongside a new dean, that chapter has not yet been written or even imagined. And so, here you are, between, on this bridge, and here we are together on this bridge together for a time. And there's a lot to do here during the interim. I plan to work hard at it, and I hope you do too. But I want to be clear about something from the very beginning. There's one thing I'm not here to do. There's one thing that this interim is not about. I am not here to change All Souls' mission or vision or character or direction or ethos. As if I or any one person could in such a short period of time. Please know that I appreciate that your vision and mission and direction and ethos and character is on track, healthy and solid. I'm not here to change your overall direction or ethos. I am here to honor it. I'm here to help accelerate and to accentuate your ethos together. Now, however, for better or worse, that does not mean that there won't be changes. A bridge is not the land behind it, and it's not the land in front of it. So whether you like it or not, whether you welcome change or cringe at the thought of change, Interim periods, by definition and design, bring changes. As churches learn together new ways of being community and serving the wider community. At least that's my own personal hope. Having just left the Falls Church Episcopal two Sundays ago, and knowing that for me personally, as for all of us, that every strength comes with a shadow side, that's just part of being human. I'm hopeful that in God's time, with the Holy Spirit's help, all faith communities going through interim periods can learn to journey well together on their bridges of shadows and light. And speaking of shadows and light, this Sunday's gospel, you thought I'd never get to it. <laughs> I do want to draw out from this gospel three larger truths that I think we can learn from it that will inform our time together. And the first larger truth or larger lesson is to remind ourselves that context, context is important because context sheds light. With this passage that we heard and with every passage, with our conversations and in our ministries, context is always important. 
and specifically about this passage. Consider how the context helps us better understand the exchange between the Sadducees and Jesus. The passage that we heard is from Luke chapter 20. And if you've been following along Sunday by Sunday, you know that we have now somehow jumped from Jesus' setting his face toward Jerusalem to all of a sudden him being in Jerusalem. We have jumped over several important stories. His triumphal, controversial entry into Jerusalem that we commemorate on Palm Sunday. We've skipped over his kicking out the money changers from the temple, his picking a fight with the Pharisees. And now he is going to the temple every day and teaching. And he's repeatedly getting into these confrontations with religious leaders and religious political power brokers. And in every one of these confirmations, in every one of these confrontations that he's having, I find it fascinating that Jesus not only never backs down, he deliberately increases the stakes. And he tells, yet again, yet another, even more provocative story against the powerful. By the time we get to the passage that we heard, there's this fairly well-coordinated effort to legally entrap him in order to justify killing him. So when these Sadducees come to him and they say, Teacher, we've got this little puzzler for you. Can you help us out with it? That is not a well-intentioned question. It is not based on sincere curiosity. It's a trap. Or at least it's an attempted one. And the Jesus that they're trying to trap was not some soft-spoken, sweet, meek, and mild, feet floating three feet off the ground, Jesus. No. The Jesus that we encounter in the Gospels was a provocateur, a subversive, a wild, brilliant, original incarnation of a wild, liberating, and creative God. Context is so important. A second larger lesson, I think, is one we learn from a shadow that's cast from an assumption that's behind the story itself. In the Sadducees' effort to entrap or at least ridicule Jesus on the issue of resurrection, the Sadducees present this hypothetical puzzler based on the law of Levitical marriage, where a man would be forced to remarry his brother's wife if his brother had died childless. In Jesus' time, that law was not very strictly observed. And so the question that the Sadducees are posing, in the resurrection, whose wife would someone who has been passed along seven times, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? That was, at one level, an academic, reductio ad absurdum, hypothetical question. But what needs to be said is that the underlying brutality of the actual patriarchal assumptions and practices of that time, those assumptions and practices would have been anything but academic and hypothetical to women living at the time. And 
those understandings, those understandings in religion and in society of women is little more than property or women as a means to men's ends, those assumptions and practices cast a very long shadow and cause great harm to this day. So part of our call as Christians is to work alongside those who want to right systemic wrongs. And third and final larger lesson I think we can pull from this gospel has to do with, with what is called presenting an underlying issue. I don't know if many of you are familiar with that terminology. The best example I can think of of this dynamic of a presenting issue versus an underlying issue is, is, the, is the husband who throws a wet towel over a chair, even though his wife has asked him not to do that. And they get into arguments about this wet towel over the chair, and they talk about the wet towel, and they argue about the wet towel. The towel is a presenting issue. The underlying issue is discourtesy, disrespect, a blasé attitude towards one's spouse's feeling. And as long as we're talking about the towel, we never get to the underlying issue. As long as we're talking about the presenting issue, we waste time and don't get down to that underlying issue. It's tempting to think that the gospel passage we heard is about resurrection because the word resurrection keeps coming up in it. But I think it's just a presenting issue. Because if we look at the exchange between Jesus and these Sadducees, we see that by Jesus' refusing to actually answer the question that they posed, he goes after the underlying issue. He's asked, and whose, whose wife would this person be in the resurrection? And he does not entertain that presenting issue at all. He'll have none of it. His answer, in other words, is essentially, I don't grant your presupposition. Resurrection is a presenting issue. The underlying issue in context is Jesus' confrontations with religious authorities and with the whole notion of authority itself. That's what's at stake here. Religious authority. And I think that's part of what God was up to in Jesus. And that's what God should be up to with the faith community. Us, the body of Christ, alive in the world today. We should be saying to those of limited imaginations or ill intentions, or both, we should be saying to them, you know, the question you just asked, the statement you just made, it, it's based on a worldview that I seek to subvert. More importantly, it's based on a worldview that the gospel seeks to subvert. I know that your worldview is staid and sure and predictable and that you're comfortable with it, but it also happens to be limited and causes harm because it doesn't lead to freedom and grace and joy. And God, God is a God of freedom and grace and joy. So let's not get caught up in presenting issues. Let's talk about underlying issues. And if you're willing, let's work together on those. That's what we can be saying to one another and to the world. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow sojourners on this bridge 
of shadows and light. May we have the courage and faith to learn each other's contexts and the contexts of our hopes and fears. May our time together not, not, not be a time of wait and see, but rather let our time together be a time of acceleration and accentuation of your gifts. Let our time to be together be a time of accentuation and acceleration of your work, our work of helping to right systemic wrongs. And finally, may we practice what we preach and what Jesus modeled which is to address not just the presenting issues between us, not just the presenting issues of the wider culture, but rather, let's, help, let's have the courage and the, and the patience and the faith to address the underlying issues and work together with Holy Spirit's help and guidance on those underlying issues so that, yes, even while accelerating on this bridge, through your life and through your ministry, God's freedom, grace, and joy may be more widely known and more widely shared.